Now, when you're a quarterback at Alabama, you see that lovely lady there. She does go to Auburn. I want to admit that. But she also, this Alabama, and that's A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, okay? And right there on the right is D.D. Bonner. That's A.J.'s mom. Wow, I'm telling you, quarterbacks, you get all the good-looking <laughs> women. Ah, it's a, what a beautiful woman. Wow. He's, A.J.'s doing Whoa. so. Welcome to the Pipeline Award-Winning Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jason Gibbs. You can find me on Twitter at Pipeline underscore, and you can find me coming through your speakers right now. What an absolutely amazing show we have for you. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jim Weber. Tweeter extraordinaire will be joining us later. But I can't talk about the weird, the wild, the wacky that is college football without bringing in my main man, KSD, from Pregame Empire. KSD, how are we doing? Hey, Jason. Uh, glad, glad to be back. Um, it is 3.46 on Sunday afternoon, and, and no coaches have been fired today. This uh, this is like a first for the season at this point. So um, uh, maybe, maybe we'll get a chance to break some news uh, during the show. Oh, one piece of coach news I'm looking at on Twitter right now. Pete Thamel's reported that Rutgers has fired their offensive coordinator. Only reason I bring this up is because uh, interim OC is going to be none other than former interim coach Nunzio Campanile. <laughs> So Nunzio Campanile is back in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Rutgers. Well, it's not a head coach firing, so I'm kind of stumbling around bewildered. But <laughs> at least it's some, At least somebody's getting fired. That kind of makes me feel at home. <laughs> I just allow you to talk about Nunzio Campanile. <laughs> Dude, I, I think, every, every, time, every time you say his name, you have to say it like that. Like if you don't put some sort of weird – you know, Italian-ish, but kind of, you know, but New Jersey-style right. accent on it. Yeah, like, did you see the uh, the, the trailer for the Mario movie what? that came out the other day? No, but I, I mean, I saw it, but I didn't actually watch it. Everybody's talking about you know, Chris Pratt's voicing Mario, and like, you know, he basically sounds like a, a Brooklyn dirtbag instead of, uh, you know, an Italian person. Like, I guarantee you, if they just put Nunzio Campanile in the booth and just handed him the Mario script, first read, he would absolutely nail it. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. Uh, it made me think if Hollywood happens to hear the Pipeline Award winning podcast and they catch <laughs> you doing, you're dead on for voiceovers, man. You're opening up new fields. Yeah, I, I've always been told that I have uh, I have voice talent. I don't, I don't, you know, it's something I've heard my entire life. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe I can, I can make money. I, I'll uh, actually, Rutgers should hire me as their, as their PA guy. Like, you know how, um, like Derek Jeter, like had the old uh, Yankees PA guy, his name I can't remember. Oh yeah, record, yeah, yeah. like h- record his, you know, at bat intro. Rutgers, I'll, re- you could record me going Nunzio Campanile and, and use that at games. I'll say nothing else. That's all you got to do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, like I said, it was another absolutely stellar week, and as always on this podcast, we're going to talk about the the funny, the the irreverent, just the zany stuff that is college football. You know, we had a week off. We had a little bit of a break last week, KSD, talking about our adopted team, App State, <laughs> but they're back in it. We're, we gave them a week off. They beat Citadel. You know, they beat the breaks off Citadel last week, but now they come back 19-point favorites just an unreal year and they lose outright well to to keep with the theme that we've uh, that we've done on the show you know talking about how it's almost like a memory game um, you know the, the going on a picnic and I'm gonna bring and, and you have to name everything everybody said up to that point I will let, let's uh, let, let's continue that fashion and go through absolute season at this point this has got to be quite possibly the wildest three and three start to a season ever like first of all absolute three and three I do want to point that out like 
all the you know they they beat Texas A and M, they get College Game Day, all the hype of oh this is a great college football program, great team, super fun team. They are super fun. They're also three and three. Um, so again, week week one. 63 to 61 loss against North Carolina. Week two, they win at Texas A&M. Week three with college game day in Boone, North Carolina. They beat Troy on, on that crazy Hail Mary. Week four against James Madison, who, again, is still really good, uh, blowing a 28 to three lead uh, in a 32-28 loss. Week week five against the Citadel last week was the only only normal result so far. Forty nine nothing win over the Citadel, and then like you mentioned yesterday, a uh, thirty six to twenty four loss as a nineteen point road favorite at Texas State. Like you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a math guy, but that's uh, I mean, what the, they lost by twelve in a game they're favored by nineteen. That's a thirty one or forty one thirty thirty one point spread flip. If I uh, if I'm doing my math right there, so. Uh, yeah, um, to say the least, I mean, again, nothing nothing short of interesting and entertaining for App State, even if they actually aren't all that good this year. But um, Chase Bryce still had a monster game yesterday, threw for like a billion yards, and but, but they still lost. Yeah, I don't know where they go from here. I don't know how they can somehow keep topping themselves. They're got, they have to run out of scripts in some well, way. They have to like, run out. Well, not only are they doing something interesting every week, it's like something completely different too like every week. Like you, you would assume after that first game against North Carolina, it's like, all right, they're going to just play every game as a shootout the rest of the season. Except for the Citadel game, the most points they've scored since then is 32. Like what? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it's not like they're just, you know, bombs away shootout games. It's not like every game is, you know, super low scoring like the Texas A&M game. I don't know. Like every, like, it's not just that they're doing something weird every week. It's like they're doing something completely different and weird every week at the same time. The most versatile actor I think we've seen since Paulie Shore. <laughs> Do a little bit of everything. <laughs> a Swiss Army knife. Right. Utility, utility player. <laughs> Can we talk about Florida State? Because two things pretty much happened almost simultaneously last night that were kind of poetic and who was involved. So Florida State loses at NC State last night in a game that they basically led for like three quarters. They lose, was it 19 to 17 was the final. And a few minutes before that goes final, Texas A&M loses 24 to 20 at at Alabama. So obviously we have Florida State and, and Jimbo both losing at the same time. I want to start with Florida State because this one was kind of weird for a lot of reasons. So first, the reason that this game lasted a little bit longer than Texas A&M Alabama is that there was some issues with the lights at Carter Finley Stadium that delayed the start of this game. Yeah, we've seen the lights go off in the middle of games before. Like I remember famously ECU on an ESPN Thursday night game like two years ago. Like the lights shut off in like the middle of a play. But I, I can't say I've ever seen a game start get delayed because they couldn't get the lights on in time. So that's number one. Number two, Florida State runs the fake punt return thing where the returner like just runs the complete opposite direction of where the ball's going and they send somebody else back there to catch it. They run that right before the half to steal three points to make it 17 to three at halftime. That's number two. Number three, Devin Leary, NC State's quarterback, gets hurt in this game. I don't think they've officially said what it was, but it kind of looked along the lines of broken collarbone. But don't want to speculate. And again, nothing official there, but just something along those lines. He was knocked out for the game. So uh, NC State brings in Jack Chambers, backup QB, transfer from Charleston Southern, who didn't attempt a single pass while he was in the game, or maybe didn't complete. He might have attempted. He didn't complete. Definitely didn't complete a pass while he was in. And he comes in with the score 17-10 Florida State, by the way. So NC State does complete the comeback without completing a single pass. But also the weirdest thing that happened, and this did aid very much in, in the comeback effort for NC State, basically gifting them a field goal, was Florida State had a fourth in what, like, 
was it like 17, 15? It was it was a yeah, it was a long down. fourth. It was a long fourth down. And deep in their own territory around late third, early fourth quarter-ish. And so so they're lining up the punt, normal normal punt here, not nothing, nothing crazy, except the uh the the dude for state NC State breaks through, you know, looks like he's about to block the punt. The punter kind of hits him with a little uh, with a little rugby style kind of pump fake and continues rolling out to you know eventually punt, except he just kind of forgot to punt i guess would be kind of the way to describe it like like you can almost see the the gears turning here of like should i try to run this for a first down or should i just punt it because a big point here is if is if buddy keeps going he's got the first down like there yeah, was nobody with definitely had it. He, he had it except for he decided to punt the ball like a yard past the line of scrimmage which you know is a is a spot penalty loss of down so nc state takes over there kicks a field goal ends up going on to win. Oh, by the way, also Jordan Travis threw an interception late in the game when if all Florida State did was just keep running the ball, they were going to have like a 30-yard field goal to win it. So lots of things had to go wrong for Florida State to lose this game, and they pretty much all exactly did as as they needed to. And again, simultaneously as this hap- is happening, Jimbo might have called the worst basically two-point conversion play of all time on, uh, on Texas A&M's last play from, from the two-yard line. Yeah, and he had a timeout to do that. He had a lot of time to think that over, and that's what he came up with. So we were pretty stoked about that. I, I know I know, well, we, we saw a little bit on the internet, oh, Alabama had a little bit of a pass interference. And yes, if you slowed it down, it was probably a little bit. But, I mean, come on. First of all, if he caught the pass, he, he wasn't even going to be in. His momentum was going to be outside. So even if they'd have another play. And then I guess afterward, they had a film breakdown with Nick Saban. And he <laughs> that they had run the exact same play earlier. So Alabama already knew how to defend it. Just a complete and total I love, debacle. I love that Jimbo still calls his own plays offensively <laughs> because in the year 2022 in college football, like that's just not common practice anymore. You know, like you see a lot more of the Dabo Sweeney type, um, you know, kind of CEO type head coaches who aren't calling really anything during get, you know in games except for like maybe whether we should go for a fourth down or not. Like that's, you know, it's like they're doing more of the recruiting and more of the during the week stuff and on Saturdays the uh the, the coordinators are doing pretty much everything but like Jimbo uh Jimbo insists on calling his own plays and I don't think he's ever going to stop I mean if you're Texas A&M like if you're the tech AD at Texas A&M you're paying this man 95 million dollars dude you got to go hire a coordinator like tell him like hey I'm paying you 95 million dollars hire a damn coordinator if he does, I hope he hires, he pulls a parents and hires his son, <laughs> the ones that wear all the chains. And then he's got to stay blinked out. Got to write that in the in the contract. Your your sons have to wear the chains and the bling in order Jimbo to be. Jimbo Fisher's son has definitely bought like oregano from some somebody <laughs> in the college station for like paid like fifty dollars for like a gram of oregano. Like I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to talk bad about the kid, except for like, dude, you, your wardrobe brings it on yourself, man. But I guess if I was rich, I'd do the same thing. Can we talk about Kansas real quick? Because Kansas TCU lived up to all the hype and everything. I mean, that was an insane game. First of all, the wide receiver play for both teams in that game, absolutely ridiculous. Just crazy catches all over the field. Jalen Daniels gets hurt for Kansas, but Jason Bean comes in, pretty much doesn't miss a beat. That is definitely not why Kansas lost. Kind of maybe got screwed on a no pass interference call on that last fourth down play, but still great game all around. I mean, if your takeaway here is is to think anything less of Kansas, that's the wrong takeaway from that game. But there was a play 
in the fourth quarter of this game that uh, that I want to talk about, and it's, it's another punt. I believe it was TCU lining up to punt here, again, deep in their own territory. And they had made a substitution, and obviously, you know, ref has to stand over the ball after a substitution to, to let the defense sub. So the refs are trying to go go uh, go stand on the, over the ball and, uh, and, and halt the snap. But in the process of, of trying to get that going, TCU snaps the ball anyways, and the uh, the back judge running in just runs right in front of the punter and just snags that baby. Like, that dude should have just, just booted one down the field. Like, just show, show off the leg. Either that or, or throwing, like, a mean stiff arm to somebody. But what, what a catch by the ref. I can't say I've ever seen the ref catch a snap in any uh, any capacity before. You know, we were probably, like, a half a second away from the ref not getting it and then the punter getting it and then the ref just going all oh. out and blocking the punt. <laughs> well, it, 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 it would have been like it would have been like the San Diego State Absolutely. Or, no, Arizona the Arizona punt at San Diego State and then the Dolphins like two weeks ago with like the with like the ass punt. Like, yeah. like it would have been like that because it would probably just nailed the ref in the face. God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the, that might have that might have just been a, a personal preservation play by the ref. I actually love it when refs inadvertently get into plays like there's it's normally, you know, the pass right over the middle and the ref gets doink. But wasn't it I think it was South Carolina a couple years ago where the the back was coming around and the ref basically tackled him like arm or whatever and knocked him to the ground. Everyone was just like, what was going on there? (laughs) I mean, he was in the way, but he kind of embracing for the impact, knocked the back to the ground. I just wish yeah. we'd have seen a, like I said, a little bit, like a half second later, and we could have really gotten into some some ref nanigans. <laughs> it was just weird too because it was just all so smooth and natural. Like the ref was running in, and it's like, oh, like well, the ball's coming towards me. I'm just going to catch it. Like it wasn't like he doesn't go out of his way to catch it. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't like make a tackle or anything. Like it's not like some big ref show type moment. It's just like, and it, it just looks so smooth on, on the play too. It's like, yeah, that's like like. It looked, it looked, if you didn't, if you had never watched football before and watched that happen, you would think that was supposed to happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, just the way, the way it looked and the way it all played out, it looked like something that happens like five times a game. Yeah, you're right. Especially with the fluidity it happened. In fact, I was watching, I was watching that game with, with one of my buddies and he was looking at his phone and he looked up and he said, Did the ref just catch the ball? And I was like, uh, Yes, yeah, just watch this replay and see something you've never seen before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, it was su- super smooth. We lo- love to see it. Love, love to see the the, the refs, uh, the refs get involved here. Can we talk for a second? I, I want to talk for a second about maybe the the best coaching move that that Mike Gundy has ever done. Jason, I'm sure you're aware of what I'm referring to here. Did you did you see the uh, the Texas Tech uh, attempted uh, some surprise onside kick here that that, that was thwarted by uh, by Oklahoma State? I did. It was Frost esque. I guess uh, Scott Frost is kicking off a trend of onside kicking when no one's expecting it. And just to see how high up we can go, you know, how, how high up we can climb on the ladder of insanity of onside kicks. Yeah, I mean, I definitely did not peg Mike Gundy as being the coach most likely to kind of lawyer, like kind of litigate his way to onside kick and, and kickoff rules for, for in college football. Like I didn't think he, he had that level of lawyer in him, but this was, this was just, this was an incredible play. And I, and I mean, I, I do think we're going to start seeing this happen pretty commonly in situations like this. So just to, uh, just to set the stage here, Texas tech goes surprise onside kick. 
this was early too. This is like first quarter, like right after their first touchdown to take a 7-0 lead. And as soon as uh, Oklahoma State realizes this, one of their kind of the, the, one of their first guys on the kickoff team, like one of the ones closest closest to um to the ball, immediately calls fair catch. Immediately. And like, you know, the, and, and obviously the fair catch rules have been changed a little bit in college football, especially related to kickoffs. Texas Tech still recovers this, this onside kick, but because fair catch was called, it's determined is deemed like kick catch interference basically, or you can't, you can't, you know, recover a, a, a ball that's being called for fair catch. Cause that's literally the entire point of fair catch. Right. So, I mean, again, I, I can't like, if you would have told me that like, I don't know, like, like David Shaw found a, found a loophole or, mm. you know, someone like, like Bill uh, Belichick. Like Eli, yeah. Yeah. Or like, or like, like Eli drink with like somebody who's kind of like a, a smart, you know, <laughs> looking for a smart lawyerly, type of uh of coach you know found this loophole but like there's no way like there's no no way gundy discovered this like i I just refuse to believe that how many lawyers have you ever had to hire with a mullet that's that's really the question here well hopefully not many i I mean i don't i don't typically have like you know (laughs) snake bite law issues you know where like my my pet snake went and bit my neighbor or something like that so i haven't i haven't dealt with many uh many mulleted uh lawyers i think you'd be perfect for one of those you may be entitled to compensation type uh <laughs> commercials i think his his like, you know look would fit in perfectly we need gundy and dana holgerson to start like a monster truck wreck firm like like you know like you have like like the motorcycle law firms and you know places like we need one that's specifically like monster truck crash law or you know maybe like jet ski crash law or something like and, and, and it's the, the, the law firm of gundy and holgerson i don't even, i don't even think they have to like pass the bar or anything to do that they could probably just plan it yeah i think gundy and holgerson is actually a great is actually a great uh law firm name <laughs> listen i got it we gotta we talk, gotta talk about red river shootout red river showdown red river rivalry and red river game i think i've heard all of those used as synonyms but Red River Shootout, I don't know if you saw this, KSD, but the pretty hulking guy, I mean, obviously, even hulking guys have feelings, but in the crowd, seemingly bawling, I, I don't know if it was over the game. It seemed like it was over the game. And of course, he was an Oklahoma fan. I should probably preface that. He wasn't crying tears of joy as, as a Texas <laughs> fan. But I don't know. Was it over the game? And if it's not, I'm just hoping that – it's kind of a weird thing to say, but I'm hoping that someone he knew was in a tragic car wreck because otherwise you're crying over getting blasted by a rival. I don't think those are tears yeah. worth shedding. I mean, as, as far as, you know, seeing, seeing people in the stands crying over games or just seeing people in general cry over games go, this one I think set a record for me for earliest in the game I've ever seen somebody cry over a game because this was like, I mean, again, assuming he's crying over the game. This was like mid-second quarter. Like, we're not even to halftime, and dude's already, you know, getting caught on ESPN. I mean, granted, they were down like 28 nothing, so the game was already over. But um, it was like mid-second quarter, Texas takes 28 nothing lead, and dude is already just letting letting the waterworks flow. Um, I mean, it, it is nice to see that somebody wearing, wearing Crimson and Cream appeared to care yesterday because I'm not sure who else did. But, uh, but yeah, like that was uh, – I mean, I'm sure I'm sure in every single like group chat with his boys, he's getting flamed right now for, for being on national TV and, and, and podcasts like this, uh, crying over the, the Sooners. But um, 
I, I posed the question yesterday, and, and I, I and I, I do want to pose it again. Does, does Oklahoma make a bowl game? I don't know. I think the I there's, mean, there's no bottom at this point. I think we're bottomless, and they might not win a game the rest of the year, just depending on their injury to Dylan Gabriel. Obviously, he offers yeah. you a better chance, but – I don't know. That's a, that's a that's a great question, and well, I'm sure Sooner yeah. fans weren't really predicting that probably three weeks ago when they were, you know, ranked in the top 15. Well, I talked about it last week. The purple team theory that that has obviously been debunked. The, this is the remaining schedule for Oklahoma. They're three and three, so obviously you got to you got to find three wins here somewhere. And I would say that like I think I think every one of these games is is potentially winnable for Oklahoma. I also think every single one of these is losable. Like that's the, you know that's kind of where they're at at this point. But I mean, this also just is the testament to the depth of the Big Twelve, which which I'm gonna I'm gonna whisper this, but the Big Twelve is the best conference in college football. Sorry, <laughs> SEC. The big the top to top to bottom, the Big Twelve is the best conference. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and make that claim. Um, but anyways. This is Oklahoma's remaining uh, remaining six games. They have they they have Kansas next week at home, which I mean, you know, normally you're like, all right, that's a win. Obviously, this is not normal Kansas at Iowa State, at home against Baylor, at West Virginia. That's probably your easiest game left, but it's also on the road at home against Oklahoma State and at Texas Tech. Like, I mean, they could really lose all these games. They could win all these games i i mean i don't know I, I, which i mean i guess you would think that would lead to seeing three wins here but i can't find three where i'm like yes that's definitely a game i feel confident oklahoma will win yeah I, i'm with you maybe you catch a break if the jalen daniels injury seemed probably like it's going to keep him out this week but jason Bean, like yeah. you said but yeah came yeah, in and they, was they, throwing in throwing it around so yeah no, no easy w's that i don't know so also just just in general just across the country yesterday so I mean, yet from a from a rankings perspective, you know, yesterday was kind of boring just because like no no top ten teams lost. Like, which granted, most of them weren't playing the, the stiffest of conference foe yesterday. Like, you know, Alabama barely gets by A and M, but you know, Georgia smacks Auburn, Ohio State smacks Michigan State, Michigan eventually pulls away from Indiana, Clemson crushes Boston College, like USC crushes Washington State. Like again, it's not you know, it's not like there was a whole lot of, uh, you know, big time top 10 games this week. But the, the one the one thing I will will point out is that I think Washington is like bad. Like I like watch. I, I don't think Washington is good. Like that that's like my one like takeaway from the top 25. Washington loses to Arizona State. And um, this is I think Washington is this year's like best case in like this is why preseason rankings are dumb. And it has nothing to do with them being ranked highly in the preseason. It's because they shot up the rankings just because they beat Michigan State, who was also terrible. Like, <laughs> like it has, not, has nothing to do with Washington being highly ranked. So, I don't know. I mean, like, there, there's my two seconds of actual football from uh, from the week is that, yeah, pre rank, rankings are bad. Washington State's bad. Michigan State's bad. That's basically it. So, Buffalo and Bowling Green played in definitely the most meaningful game of the year yesterday. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo, by the way, Scott Leffler still uh, still coaching Bowling Green, and they got absolutely housed by Buffalo yesterday. Um, just, so just want to point that out. But this game featured a, a few just kind of kind of weird uh, weird plays. First of all, Buffalo in this game had a 92 yard touchdown run and a 97 yard fumble return. Bowling Green also just ran a horrible fake field goal. Like, like literally at the exact same time, Oklahoma runs a fake field goal where the holder throws it to the kicker, gets a first down. 
Bowling Green ran the exact same fake like five minutes later. And like the pass was like two yards behind the kicker and backwards. And I mean, there was also like a ton of flags on the play and all kinds of weird stuff. I don't even think the play ended up counting, but just wanted to point out, look, Scott Leffler, if you're going to be bad, at least you're going to be fun and bad. So I, I guess kudos to you for that. Yeah, it was like they were watching the Red River shootout and they said, hey, that that could work. Let's. <laughs> I know we haven't practiced it at all, but let's just let's just go with it. Let's see where we come up with. You know, yeah, they got the you know they got like the iPad down there on the sideline, like the, the <laughs> iPad with all with they had it on ABC and Scott Luffler was like, oh that that looks pretty cool. Let's let's pull pulls the pulls the kick unit over. And it's like all right, boys, this is what we're gonna run. Like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this real quick. Except where they were watching it on their Apple Watch, so it was really small and they couldn't quite make out all the details. So we're like, <laughs> oh, just improvise it. I'm sure it'll be. Okay. What's the worst that can happen, right? <laughs> yeah like all right all right our, our punter who's our holder on like probably i don't know i'm just guessing like can, can, have you ever thrown a pass in your life no okay well here's all you gotta do is gotta throw it like three yards sideways to, to the kicker he's gonna run right towards it catch the ball and go score and then just throws it like two yards back. <laughs> I, I mean again i i, I love i love the creativity like i mean scott the, the scott leffler era at bowling green has been nothing short of terrible which i mean that shouldn't really surprise anybody if you know anything about Scott Luffler's coaching ability. But this is the way to go out, guns blaze. And also, they, they do have a transitive win over Notre Dame because they beat Marshall the week after. Nice. Um, <laughs> after Notre Dame lost to him. So there's that, too. Well, KSD, how about this guest that we're bringing on? I guess the first guest ever on the Pipeline Award-winning podcast. First Breaking new ground here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our guest is a man that needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. He's a film, TV, podcast producer, an elite tweeter, the internet's resident uniformologist. <laughs> Men want him, women want to be him. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jim Weber. James, how are we doing, my friend? Good, thanks so much for having me. Now, you are a Michigan fan. Let's go ahead and get the biases out of the way. You're a Michigan fan. So on a scale of one to a pair of finely pressed Dockers khakis. How do you feel about the Wolverines going forward? You know, it's been uh, shaky the last couple of weeks. Um, starting with the Maryland game, they kind of just barely edged that one out. And then they had a good start against Iowa, but kind of slogged through it. And then yesterday against Indiana, you know, started hot, um, then hit a little bit of a bump in the road and then finally pulled away. Um, it's definitely been a little underwhelming, especially when you look at what Ohio State's doing. Um, however, I will say that I remember Ohio State last year beat Michigan State by about 40 or 50 points uh, going into the Michigan game. And I thought, OK, you know, this is going to be just another year where we get just totally blasted by the Buckeyes <laughs> and then, you know, totally turned it around. Um, they had a good Maryland game before that. You know, as long as you just kind of survive in advance, uh, you never know what happens later on in the season. Well, Michigan, Michigan did the smart thing this year from a scheduling standpoint, and this includes their their, their conference games as well. Because um, you can't convince me that they didn't do this on purpose. They have gradually ramped it up each week. Like I, I do, this is incredible, incredible schedule. Like great job on Michigan by getting the Maryland game out of the way early, like right after UConn. Like let's just baby step it here, baby step it. So. You know, Harbaugh could probably, like, if he really wanted to, he could have just done his quarterback thing pretty much until this point, just like every other game, just to, like, mess with everybody and not put too much on film. But beautiful, beautiful schedule work by the, by the folks at Michigan to get uh, to get all these uh, these easy Big Ten cupcakes out of the way early. Yeah, well, they, they did that last year, and I remember people were really grateful because 
it allowed Michigan to kind of gain its confidence back after 2020. Um, so that worked out really well. I think Michigan fans have kind of grumbled this year that it's like, why even go to the stadium if the game's over by <laughs> the first quarter? Well, well um, but then you can see you can see that UConn guy hold up the four for yeah, well, that guy if you great. go to the game. Though that guy's awesome. He's, yeah. he's uh, I think he's my leader for fan of the year at this point. Um, by my unofficial poll, so. Yeah, well, that, you, I guess someone got a picture of him doing the fours at NC State yeah, when they were yeah. getting blasted. So I would love to see like a, a mini profile on this dude. Um, well, I mean, that guy's got to be happy now. I mean, they, UConn's won a couple of games in a row. So so I I think that guy deserves all the credit and things are looking up. Yeah, but, the loyalty um, has been rewarded. <laughs> so um, I appreciate the other uh, Michigan breakdown, but that, that I think that's enough actual football, uh, football talk for, uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for today. So I, I want to start with a, with a very important question, something you pointed out yesterday and something that I have been wondering about for about the last uh, few weeks or so since it happened. So, uh, you, Jim, you pointed out on, on Twitter that, that Notre Dame's 3-0 and since, since Marcus Freeman became Catholic. Now, is this an unfair advantage here? Like, does he have an unfair spiritual advantage? I mean, I know people might say, oh, God loves Notre Dame, but if God truly loved Notre Dame, they'd go – you know, 12 and 0 every year. I think he's, he's trying to dial it back. God is to make sure it's not too obvious, but is this an unfair advantage for Marcus Freeman being Catholic? Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. You know, God, uh, it tests you, as you said, they can't go 12 and 0. <laughs> it's going to be like Job. You got to be tested to go through it, but yeah, it'll be interesting. If Marcus Freeman turns out to be new Rockney, then we know the the turning point. And I know <laughs> people say, well, they, they lost to Ohio state and Oklahoma state. Those are tough teams, but they also lost to Marshall. Yeah. Um, and then to beat North Carolina was a, was a solid win and to beat BYU is a solid win. So it's not just like they were playing hard teams his first three games and they're playing easy teams the second three. I just look forward to Jimbo Fisher converting next weekend. So once he <laughs> sees Freeman's unfair advantage, Jimbo is going to hop on the train. Yeah, but the, the church at a and is a little different. That's like the dog culture. So little, uh, I think I think the, the I think the conversion process there is probably a little more drawn out. It probably you got to be like baptized at midnight yell serenaded by, <laughs> by the yell leaders and maybe uh you know kiss the dog or something i, I don't know <laughs> yeah there's a there's a whole uh a&m tradition around uh <laughs> in person well jim as the internet's resident uniformologist quick question should arizona state have to forfeit their victory against washington yesterday when we take into account their unis because it looked to me like someone had stayed up all night playing call of duty then remembered at 3 a.m. they were supposed to design the uniforms, and so they hopped on MS Paint and threw something together, and then that's what they went with. It was just an abomination, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, you know that you know my feelings on Adidas and how many <laughs> bad alternate uniforms they've made over the years. But Jim, Adidas is I our sponsor. We... Don't take it. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say that, um, you know, especially when you've got. Uh, the sparky uniforms in the closet that everyone loves and you're trotting out that just utter trash onto the football field. Now they beat Washington. So who knows, they might wear it the rest of the season based on uh, their performance in them. Well, Adidas, see, the, here's the problem with Adidas jerseys. They spent all their money on like all these Brian Bowen and like all these basketball players that just didn't pan out. And now they got to pay for all the lawyer fees and stuff to where, uh, you know, they're out of money. And this is kind of what they, what they have left to come up with. I think, I mean, I think, I think Jason's right. I think they can pretty much only afford Microsoft paint at this point because of all that. Yeah. But I do want to say that, um, you know, what's, what's great about watching college football in this day and age is that, you know, I think, you know, 20 years ago, I probably never wouldn't even seen AM's uniforms. Maybe I would have seen it during the week 
but you know, I wouldn't have watched the game and it wouldn't have, you know, gone viral on the internet. But now just the amount of just crazy things and how quickly they move on the internet, um, the amount of just like internet fodder, whether it's uh, Desmond Watson jogging off the field for Florida and like barely <laughs> being making off the field or the uh, Oklahoma jump pass, pop pass from the 20 yard line. I mean, just the amount of zany stuff that happens. It's like a, a 12 hour bender to watch college football now. Well, I feel like I feel like we have almost like a Twitter meeting of the minds going on here too. So it's, it's if I feel I feel like I'm I'm in the presence of of Twitter royalty as, as somebody who's helped make make this uh, the the reality of football Saturdays. Twitter yeah. triumvirate, wow. <laughs> the the holy the holy Twitter trinity. Um, okay, so let's we, we talked about the UConn the UConn fan guy, and uh, you know, I mentioned that he is one of my one of my fan of the year contenders. And I know, you know, I know, Jim, you you love you know the, the weird the weird moments of college football, but especially you know ones that involve involve fans and in, in doing you know kind of crazy stuff or, or weird things. So let, let's let's take UConn guy off the table since we've already talked about him. What what's your favorite fan moment so far? We're about halfway through the regular season. What's your favorite fan moment up to this point? Well, I don't know if this counts as a fan moment. I will say okay. the funniest moment I've witnessed involving fans was the frat row battle royale yes, yes. between the old Miss students in the student section. That was absolutely hilarious. I, I love that too. We we talked we talked about it at length last last week. Um I said it was the, like the battle of Signu. Like <laughs> I like I like the, the group of pledges against against the other group. But yeah, I, I love that as well. Yeah. And it was great that before that happened, you remember there was the picture of the pledge who looked like totally exhausted before <laughs> kick had even happened. And then for that fight to happen in the stands after, I mean, the old Miss, do you remember they played, was it the Peach Bowl where they showed like all the fans last year and oh, yeah, yeah. sitting on the first row? Yeah. Like, Greek life is just overtaken the old Miss community. So it's always fun to, to see their fans at an event. That's exactly the kind of fan moment we're looking for, for fan moment of the year. So that's a great call. I think UConn guy is still slightly ahead just because of his dedication to the, (laughs) to the losing, but still going, but you're right. Absolutely. Greek row, Ole Miss. They never lost a party. They've never lost a fight in the stands either. Well, you can't lose a fight in the stands when you're fighting yourself. Can I, can I have a write in? Uh, Yes. Remember the guy that climbed into Bevo's pen and (laughs) he was kicked out. Now I'm, I'm a little worried, but I assumed he was just drunk. I hope there's not something, you know, actually <laughs> really well, wrong with that individual. But seeing that, and of course, there's video of it. You know, like I yeah. said, 20 years ago, you know, maybe you hear a rumor about a guy that tried to get into Bevo's pen. But to actually have the video of him climbing in and then the police dragging him to the ground, <laughs> um, just unbelievable. Well, the best punishment, like, I think the security at Daryl Royal Stadium mishandled the situation here because the best punishment would have been just to let him actually try to ride Bevo. That situation would have totally just resolved itself. Instead, they immediately like tackle him and get him out of the pen. I'm like, no, nah, man, it was just, just let, let him at it. He would never even think about doing it again. I like that. I like letting just uh, nature take its course. And as we saw yeah. with Bevo and Uga, you know, <laughs> exactly. Bevo, as soon as that guy got in the pen, who knows how badly that would have ended. Also along the same lines too. You got you got the drunk LSU guy who just kind of wandered onto the field. Oh, uh, like week like like week two. <laughs> like I mean he like 
and I mean that that man was just like kind of just kind of meandering, like like that was the the calmest field rush I've ever seen. Like just just kind of hanging out, like you know, just chilling. Like, hey man, how's it going? You know, like that. That I think that guy's in the running too. Yeah, it wasn't just the fact that he was on the field because we've seen whether it's the NFL or college. I feel like there isn't a week that goes by without some idiot on the field. But <laughs> you know, they all kind of blend together where they kind of run around and a football player tackles them, and that's funny. But this completely oblivious to where you are that was uh i hadn't seen that one yeah my only regret is that he didn't somehow make a play you know during the game i saw i saw a tweet earlier this week i guess in 1961 a patriots fan ran on the field mid play and literally knocked the ball down the team they were playing was going for the game winning touchdown he knocked the ball down in the end zone and then just ran back into the stands and they just let it stand they just didn't do anything I think the guy just rejoined the crowd but (laughs) this LSU fan wasn't far from that because they hiked the ball and you know it was a live play but the LSU guy should have just gone to the sideline and like tried to like call a play or just have a conversation like like grab the other phone and talk to like the press box or something like that seemed that seems more that seemed more of his speed in, in that moment That's in true. headspace to try to to make something happen on the field. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of like you know fans getting into games, have you noticed that refs are not only making terrible calls but are actually getting involved with the game? Yes. The ref the other week recovered the fumble, and yeah. then we had the ref catching the punt. And as the uh, Sickos committee pointed out, he should have just blasted it as far as he could after catching it. Yeah, I said he should have done one of two things. He should have, yeah, one was just let a total nuke of a punt fly. <laughs> but two, he, he should have just like try to stiff arm some guys, maybe throw a spin move or two in there, just try to go score a touchdown. Like that would have been awesome. Show, show off the Jets. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, actually, Jim, I, my regret there was he wasn't a half second late and then just absolutely laid out and blocked the punt <laughs> just so the, the punt didn't get Good off. Point. There was potential there. Yeah, I mean, we all, we almost had a repeat of like the 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 Dolphins, um, you know, ass punt and like the <laughs> Arizona did it earlier in the season. Like if the if the ref is like a half second later, like just gets absolutely blindsided by the punt, <laughs> been, yeah. been awesome. Now, Jim, I know you're a, a Big Ten guy, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on the debacle slash work of art that was Illinois and Iowa. It seemed like they watched the Colts-Broncos Thursday night game and were just like, hold my adult beverage, and then proceeded to put on something that I, I think we can only describe as an out-of-body experience. <laughs> it was pretty funny that um, I saw people uh, tweeting about how you know, Iowa would get the ball on a turnover, like near the goal line, and then they'd move like 20 yards backwards <laughs> to kick a field goal. <laughs> it's like they literally just shouldn't, you know, they should just hand the ball back as soon as they get a turnover and try and get a pick six because that seems to be the only way they could actually get into the end zone. I mean, Brett Bielema totally is like – beyond happy that the score was six to nine right like like the, <laughs> like he definitely was going for the for the sex number yeah it is pretty amazing that um I feel like we make a joke every week about how bad Iowa's offense is and then they just somehow keep regressing from zero like Iowa I think just Iowa holistically as a program everybody kind of has stereotypes about different programs in college football right and some of these are more true than others. Like I know um, another big 10 one you'll appreciate is, you know, like everybody talks about how like Michigan state's like the, you know, we always want to play in a hailstorm of hammers, you know, type team and what the bad weather and whatnot, like that might be a little exaggerated. 
I don't think there's any exaggeration about anything that anybody says about Iowa, especially when it comes to the offensive side of the ball and, and like loving punting and things like that. Like if anything, I think we understate it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because they, they used to just be kind of like the smash mouth team and you're like, Oh, you know, Iowa's offense is like throwback and they're really good running the ball, but now just absolutely nothing works. And the Brian Ferris <laughs> jokes just write themselves. I don't know. You know, it seems like, well, he's never going to fire his own son, but at some point you got to like, you know, make up a, a transition to, you know, a made up position group coach, because <laughs> you just can't have this going forward forever. Just unplug his headset. So nothing he's saying <laughs> is getting through. <laughs> yeah. It is just incredible, though, that, like, Iowa does have, like, legit the best punter in the country. Like, that just is, like, the, the bow on top of the uh, the incredible, like, present that is this Iowa season is, like, oh, yeah, they actually do have the best punter in the sport. You know, maybe they just spend all their practices punting, <laughs> and the offense just sits on the side. It's just defense and punting for five days of practice. Well, well, also, I mean, like, I, I love to, like, this game happens after, like, on Wednesday, we get the, the Big Ten Network video from, like, where they ask the coaches, like, what's the most overrated stat in football? <laughs> and, and Kirk Ferris is, like, the first one on the video, and he says, to like, total offense or offensive yards or however he said it. I was like, there is no way that, that they actually got, like, in the way he, the way he smiles, too, when he says, like, like it's almost like, he, like he's in on the joke. Like, he knows, like, oh, everybody's going to love this. Well, <laughs> it's, it's that was defensive passing yards allowed right before yeah. CJ Stroud tore up a year. <laughs> Brutal. I, I wish I wish James Franklin's answer would have been like clock management. Like, <laughs> like, like he, I know you, I know he couldn't say it, but like if he, if like that's the only way that video could have been better is if James Franklin said the most o overrated stat was clock management. It's like that's that's not even a stat. Like, but like, oh yeah, no, totally it is. Like. I, been, I like everyone listing their weakness as something that's just being overrated. <laughs> oh yeah, the thing I'm really bad at, that, that's not important anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's transition away from the Big Ten here because I know something else, Jim, you're passionate about this season, as, as am I, is one specific quarterback in the country, and that, and that is General Booty. Because and I want to talk about it because obviously Oklahoma gets absolutely blasted yesterday by, by Texas. Dylan Gabriel doesn't play. And Oklahoma had maybe one of the weirdest like passing box scores of the year, just overall. Like they had like four or five guys throw a pass and they threw for like 32 total yards. But despite all this, we still didn't get to see general booty. Uh, Jim, your, your, your thoughts on the lack of booty we were given yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was pretty unbelievable that they were running like wildcat with their tight end. They were doing anything to have to avoid using like a real quarterback because they could not <laughs> at all. And then I know they have, you know, Nick Evers is like a really highly touted prospect. Yeah. He clearly is not ready. And then General Booty, I guess, was great in junior college. But I don't know. It's it's uh, pretty alarming that they were using their tight end in shotgun formation or in uh, wildcat formation and doing pop passes from the 20 before giving General Booty uh, a shot at quarterback. So I mentioned the box score. This is this is this is the Oklahoma passing box score from yesterday. So Davis Bevel was six of twelve for thirty-eight yards. Michael Turk, the punter, one for one for three yards on that on that fake field goal. Eric Gray, running back, one for two, no yards. Nick Evers got one pass over one. Marcus Major, one for one, negative two yards. So total, they were nine of seventeen for thirty-nine yards, and still we couldn't get General Booty in the game. Yeah, well, it reminds me of. Do you remember in? Um... Varsity Blues, 
where they always took out the running back on the goal line and put in the white running back. Yeah. Uh, it was the workhorse. I'm starting to wonder if the coach has an axe to grind with General Booty. Maybe he's jealous of the name. I don't know what it is, but there se- seems to be a clear issue in the locker room. I kind of feel like the SEC was involved here. You know, they, it was just too much booty. It was just going to be too many, you know, innuendos <laughs> on Twitter. They had to shut it down. They said, don't put him in. And we got we to gotta squelch this before it starts. Yeah. Well, like college game day, they're talking about the game. Like they spent like three minutes talking about general booty. And it was like the greatest three minutes of television they've done like ever. I'm happy about the Pat McAfee hire literally for that three minutes of TV alone because he, he made that. But let's talk about this hypothetical. Like let's, I don't think Oklahoma is going to make a bowl game. I'm just going to say that right now. But if they do, let's get Oklahoma and Ole Miss or maybe Liberty and, into a bowl game just so we can get the general booty jokes off with the uh, opposing head coach there. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in. I've been trying to speak a handful of bowl games into existence over the last few years or a few weeks. Like I want, you know, like Iowa, Texas A&M is, you know, one that we, we, we try to speak into existence. So I'm going to, I'm going to add the, the booty bowl as a, as a, as another uh, entry into, uh, into the games we want to see. I like that. By the way, I want to mention that um, speaking of SEC conspiracy theories, did you see the message board poster who said that Tennessee used some kind of like electromagnetic machine? Yes to cause the fumble on the kickoff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was, I mean, you just can't make up the amount of amazing content every college football Saturday. Well, KSD, no, I, I think, I think you, you pointed it out that uh, the only coach that followed Ryan Kelly from Notre Dame was the special teams coach, and their special teams was a total disaster. It was fumbles, it was punt returns, it was just a, just a total whitewash of, of special teams. Oh, yeah, I mean – the, Brian Pullian is the only one who followed him. And yeah, the, the, the special team has been horrendous all year, but I don't even like, I mean, I, I, I I'm not a scientist. I know nothing about science. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I have no, like in, in reading that post, I'm like, I don't even know how this would begin to like make somebody just not catch a football. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, it's just like, again, it's a message words post. Not, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of coherent thought in tons of those, but nothing computed there. I was like, I was like, how does this even matter? Yeah. Well, we, we know what's great is that, there was actually a conspiracy like this about the 98 <laughs> season where Clint Sterner fumbling the ball and Michael Bishop fumbling the ball in the same weekend was also caused by this electromagnetic machine. And I'm just like, man, I thought, uh, I thought conspiracy theories had jumped the shark in the last couple of years, but yes, seriously, now we're talking about electromagnetic machines causing fumbles in SEC football games. We're in a, we're in a whole new realm. Well, look, I mean, like two weeks ago, whatever it was, we had uh, we had that Utah student who was like going to nuke the state of Utah <laughs> if they lost to to to, uh, to to San Diego State. So, um, I mean, we've we've got our we've got our fair share of like of like wannabe Bill Nye scientists going on going around the college football world at this point. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. I forgot to include that as favorite fan moment. The guy that <laughs> nuked Salt Lake City <laughs> over losing well, like, to San Diego State. Well, I mean, Utah fans are, like, on one this year because you have that, and then you have, like, the two girls who, like, showed up, like, topless to the, the game with, like, just, like, body pain or whatever, and that was the yeah, whole, right. the whole, the whole, like, whole, uh, everybody up in arms over that. So, like, Utah's pushing hard for, like, fan-based-type honors this year for very good reason, too. I, I, I'm impressed with the body of work. Well, I guess <laughs> pun, pun, pun intended, but... <laughs> I think a lot of people assume that... I mean, there are a lot of Mormons at Utah as well as BYU. Yeah, yeah. assume Utah is like BYU. Utah oh, yeah. is nothing like BYU. It is... Uh, there is a lot of shenanigans that go on uh, at Utah with its football fans. So, yeah. Great body of work from the Utes this year. 
And, you know, if we if we can't go the science route, we could always just go like the Texas A&M route of just hiring a hitman to knock off the coach <laughs> because he's just not executing. I think those are all totally reasonable responses to losing a college football game. I'm honestly surprised, like, after that came out and then the final play uh, last night, like, that, that, that there wasn't, like, it just immediate, like, something happened to Jimbo. Like, I, like I'm sure the security detail was, like, uh, you know, at, at the ready because, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was an interesting call there. Well, you know, because he's, he's converting to Catholicism, so he probably actually slipped right into the Pope mobile and drove home, taking bullets off the windshield, just driving home. <laughs> That's all that's left. What does the Texas A&M like Pope mobile, like I guess it'd be like the Miss Rev mobile, but like what does that even look like? I don't know. It's no just, leaders it, off the off the side. I guess it would be like a tank. It would have to be I was just, I was about, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it's just, is it just a tank? Like that's it? <laughs> oh, there's right. one thing I forgot to mention though, was uh, how, what do you think Brian Harson's day is like right now where they got past Georgia, they got the bye week. Everyone in the world knows he's getting fired. I don't know if you just do the uh, George Costanza and take the trophies out and drive around in the parking lot with them or, or what you do. Maybe you celebrate because well, you're about to get a massive buyout uh, like everyone else. Well, at first, Jim, I, I know you're a, you're a podcast pro because I like you making the transition from science to Scientology. So it's so a great, great work <laughs> there. But yeah, I think, I, I think the Costanza route is the only logical thing to do here. I mean, uh, unless there's something in the buyout that specifically says dragging trophies around the parking lot <laughs> means you don't get it. But like, he should coach their next game with like a margarita in hand, like in like a beach chair or something. Like, and I, I honestly thought Scott Satterfield was going to do that yesterday, especially with Malik Cunningham not playing. If you're Brian Harson, why try at this point? Just cast that check. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully he's listening to this podcast and taking our advice. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he'll like me calling out his his, uh, his Scientology leaning. So. <laughs> I have it on high authority. He is listening. He just texted me. He's uh he's kind of listening live. So. Definitely expect some sort of uh, shenanigans on the sideline as, as going forward. But, well, I awesome. think that's going to wrap it up. Great stuff, Jim. I love having you on. Open invitation to come back. I want to pimp Jim's Twitter. He's definitely an elite tweeter, as I mentioned. At Jim M. Weber, W-E-B-E-R. Yeah. Definitely give him a follow. Puts out some of the best content on Twitter. As we mentioned, we have the Twitter triumvirate here. And only good things happen when we get together. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it so much. This is a blast and hopefully we can do it again sometime. All right, Jim. Take care, man. All right. Bye. See you. Man. See you. All right. I want to thank Jim for coming on. And as I said, he's always welcome back. Really great stuff. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please do so. Leave a five-star review. Just keep following us. Don't forget, follow KSD on Twitter at Pregame Empire. Follow us on Twitter at Pipeline underscore. And we'll see you guys next time on the Pipeline Award-Winning Podcast.